Okay, this is chapter two, fluid statics. We have four goals for the learning in this chapter. The first is to determine pressure at various locations in a fluid at rest. And remember, pressure varies linear, linearly with depth. Number two, explain the concepts of manometers and apply appropriate equations. Number three, calculate hydrostatic pressure force on a plane or curved submerged surface. And number four, calculate buoyant force and determine stability of floating or submerged objects. We are going to assume that there is no shearing stress in the fluid, only pressure for the purposes of today's lesson. Pressure may be defined as the normal force per unit area at a given point acting on a given plane within the fluid mass of interest. And the normal force, remember, refers to perpendicular force. So that's right angles. We can see this in a free body diagram. So in the book, it shows this um, triangular prism kind of bobbing in between a surface and a solid surface. And it shows three planes, X, Y, Z, with a centroid point in the middle. That centroid point is where we're applying the, the force, the pressure. So it shows the angle of the force being applied with the angle referenced by theta or PS DX DS. So that's the pressure of the surface with the change in X times the change in the surface side. Or this, we're, so we're applying the force to the side. So the pressure of the side is equal to the change in length of the side. Because again, remember, pressure varies by depth. Um, when we look at the centroid, so the little dot in the middle where all the XYZ comes together, we can see that gamma is equal to dx, dy, dz over 2. Um, again, because that is the, the middle that we're applying force to. So force equals mass times acceleration. We can see that the sum of forces in the y direction are equal to those pressures times the sine. So this is going to be our SOHCAHTOA geometrical representation of length. Because again, remember, pressure requires a specific length off the surface. So the length, as dictated by sine theta, results in rho times dx dy dz over 2 times any length y. Or sum of forces in the z direction is equal to rho dx dy dz over 2 times a to z in the zth direction, or the z direction. So PS, PY, and PZ in this formulaic equation refer to the average pressure on the faces. So the face S is the side that's having force applied. PY is the length associated with the y-axis. And Z is associated with the z-direction. The pressure at a point in a fluid at rest or in motion is independent of direction as long as there is no shearing stress present. This is also known as Pascal's law. If there is relative motion or shearing stress where the normal stress at a point is not the same in all three directions, then pressure may be defined as the average of any three mutually perpendicular normal stresses at the point. And that's what our clever little triangle diagram is showing us. Two types of forces exist on an element within an element of fluid. So there are surface forces and body forces. 
Body forces are equal to the weight of an element and may also include magnetic fields, though we're not going to use them for this course, and surface forces are just pressures applied. So for a fluid at rest, we can say dp dz is equal to negative gamma, where gamma is equal to density times gravity. So again, gamma is just going to be weight, right? Density times gravity, or rho times g. So for our first goal, determine pressure at various locations in a fluid at rest. This is the fundamental equation for fluids at rest. dp over dz equals negative gamma, where gamma equals density times gravity. It may be used to determine how pressure changes with elevation because pressure increases with decreasing elevation. So pressure varies with length. Uh, there is a little chart in the book, if that's helpful for you. I don't find it terribly helpful, but it does show change in P over change in Z equals negative gamma. So again, that's pressure varying with elevation, where the Z direction is elevation. Incompressible fluid. A fluid with constant density equals an incompressible fluid. Usually variations in liquids are negligible even with large changes in pressure, so we can assume a constant specific weight. So for example, P2, pressure 2, minus pressure 1 equals negative gamma times Z2 minus Z1, or P1 minus P2 equals gamma times Z2 minus Z1. So the only difference between those is how you view elevation. So in the first one, we can say that P2 is greater than P1, which equals a decrease in elevation, which is negative gamma. The other one, P1, is greater than P2, which equals an increase in elevation. So same equation, just change the sign and just pay attention to where your, where your Z axis or where your pressures are. Where P are pressures at vertical elevations Z1 and Z2, so we already explained that. And H is the difference between Zs. So Z2 minus Z1 is equal to H, once you simplify it, for, for obvious reasons, right? So this is what's called the hydrostatic distribution. An incompressible fluid at rest pressure varies linearly with depth. And that can be rewritten. Remember, we're in the same equation. We can be rewritten as H equals P1 minus P2 over gamma. H is called a pressure head, and it's the height of the column of fluid with a specific weight, gamma, required to give a pressure difference equal to P1 minus P2. So same equation, P1 minus P2 equals negative gamma over Z2 minus Z1. We're just using pressure head instead of the actual elevation changes. So it's just a consolidated version. Where air and water meet, this is a surface boundary. That's called a liquid vapor interface called a free surface. This is a very convenient reference plane. So P0 is the pressure acting on the force surface, or the free surface, which can be the atmosphere in this case. So we'll take an easy one. So in this case, P2 equals gamma H plus P0. So the resultant pressure of any force applied is equal to density times weight, right, specific weight, times the change in head, or the change in elevation, head pressure, plus the original pressure. So that's the interface equation. We only care about depth. So remember this, this is very important. The size and shape of the container does not matter. The pressure head, or the Z, the Z change, is the only thing that matters. 
Um, just as a quick note for pistons, if we're using hydraulic examples, the equation for a piston is force 2 equals area 2 over area 1 times force 1. I included that because I feel like we're going to have a homework question on it, so might as well just have it in the bag. Compressible fluids. So pressure equals rho RT. So remember, compressible fluids tend to be gases. So because we're working with gases, we're going to be interested in the gas constant. So here we've got a modification of the ideal gas law, PV equals NRT, which I, for some reason, have been able to retain since high school. It's a miracle. Uh, but here we're looking for pressure equals density, R, which is the gas constant, T, absolute temperature in Kelvin. Please remember your units. So for this purposes of this class, we're going to be in isothermal conditions. That means that temperature will be constant. P2 equals P1 raised to the negative G times Z2 minus Z1 over RT sub zero. So that RT sub zero, Z2 minus Z1, that's all just the pressure head or the column of air associated with the type of gas at constant pressure multiplied by gravity, right? So it looks scary, but it's not. So the original pressure raised to, you know, essentially the ideal gas law modified for that specific column of air. If the specific weight of a fluid varies significantly as we move from point to point to point, the pressure will no longer vary linearly, linearly with depth. Okay, so this is a difference between compressible and incompressible flow. In compressible fluids, we get some weirdness and it will no longer vary linearly with depth. Um, as a note, the standard atmosphere conditions I still haven't memorized. They're in table 2.1. I'm sure at some point I will make an effort and just memorize them, but it has not happened yet. So we'll see how it goes. Um, absolute pressure is relative to a perfect vacuum, whereas gauge pressure is a local atmospheric pressure. Negative tells you that it's a suction or a vacuum pressure, and you must assume all gauge pressures for the purposes of this class. So anything in the text, unless it is specifically listed out as absolute temperature, will be treated as gauge temperature. So you'll, we'll need to adjust for absolute. What that means is we'll have a uh, temperature versus absolute zero reference. The gauge pressure will have to be, you know, if 14.7 PSI is our atmospheric, you know, absolute atmospheric pressure, then we'll need to add or subtract that depending on whether we're working with vacuum suction pressure or, um, or positive pressure. So just remember that 14.7 PSI will have to be adjusted depending on, on what we're doing. So the barometer using mercury, equation for that is pressure of the atmosphere equals gamma H plus pressure of the vapor, where gamma is the specific weight of mercury and H is the head pressure. Remember that's the Z2 minus Z1 um, column of air. The pressure at any depth equals P equals gamma H plus P0, where P0 is at the surface. So that is your starting pressure at the interface. Okay, so that fulfills our objective number one. How do you find pressure at depth? Objective number two, manometry. So pressure measurement using liquid columns in vertical or inclined tubes, these are manometers. They include piezometrics tubes, U-tube manometers, inclined tube manometers, and some other ones that I don't think we're gonna need to care about. So the pressure again equals gamma H plus P0. When we look at a piezometer, we're gonna be looking for equation P of the area equals gamma one times H one. So you can picture a little L where the area 
gamma one is down at the bottom with like a little ball and that's pushing the fluid up the little L tube a distance of H1, that's your head pressure, and because the top is open, P0 can be set to zero where PA equals P1. So the pressure of your little ball down below is going to be equal to your initial pressure starting condition. That's for piezometers. For U-tube, um, we've got that little ball kind of midway in the height and then it makes like a little U and then it extends into an L that leads to an open surface. So this is like a like a trap, like a sink trap or a toilet trap or something. So in order to calculate this one, we're going to have four steps. Step one, we make P1 equal to PA. So remember that PA or P1 can be the little ball, the source of the water, right? Step two, P2 is equal to P1 plus gamma 1 H1. So that means our initial pressure is equal to the specific weight times the column. That can also be rewritten or simplified into PA, so the pressure of the area of our initial water, or whatever we're working with, plus gamma 1 H1. Then we go to step 3, where we say P3, because remember we've got a U, so the first P is at the same distance as the source water, the second U is kind of as it's transitioning into the U itself, the third P is where it starts to come up into the vertical column to our open side. Um, and that's P3 is going to be the same as P2 because it's in that U shape. So the depth is going to be equal because they're, they're equalizing on the U. Um, and so step four to get this thing up into the open, we're going to take the pressure of the atmosphere is equal to P3 plus gamma 2, which is our gauge fluid. Right, so we're gonna we're gonna change the specific weight of the fluid because that's our measuring fluid um, times the new column. So pushing out a new column of H2, and that's going to be PA equals gamma one H1 minus gamma two H2. So because this is the the U tube is using two fluids, and essentially we're trying to measure how much one fluid changes versus the other because that's going to give us our gauge pressure and the gauge pressure is what's going to tell us our change in pressure. So our final equation is going to be PA equals P atmosphere minus gamma 1 H1 plus gamma 2 H2. Um, I did write out all of the little indicators but it, the book has a really nice diagram of where each one of these points are going to be. But the key point is you've got two fluids. The difference between them is what becomes your gauge pressure. So that's why you have to do these four steps and like measure at the U and like you have to do two specific weights it's because you're using two different fluids to calculate the difference as a gauge pressure. So a couple rules for manometers. Number one, write the pressure at either end of the manometer. You got your source, you got your free surface or your open space, make sure you, count, you put your pressures down for both of those. If it isn't open, you can always put it as zero because that will be your, your atmospheric pressure, right? Proceed through the manometer adding gamma H if you're moving to greater depth, right? So if you are increasing the elevation, Z, you add gamma H. If you are decreasing the elevation, if you are subtracting, then you will subtract gamma H. 
Remember, specific weight times your elevation change, so it's not scary. Number three, stop at the far end and set your expression equal to the local pressure. So at your far end, for example, if it's open to the air, you can set your pressure equal to zero. So for example, pressure of the atmosphere plus gamma 2 H2 minus gamma 1 H1 equals the pressure at A. Because all your, so everything has to be conserved in your manometer, right? It's not going anywhere. So if you change relative to one thing, put your gamma H relative to the other, right? Show the relationships between your first gamma H, your second gamma H, and you're always going to have your PA, which is your source material, right? This is where the mercury is coming from, versus your open or your P atmosphere free surface. The contribution of gas columns in manometers is usually negligible since the weight of a gas is so small. The most common ga gauge fluids are water, mercury, and oil. You can also solve for pressure differences between points or containers. Um, there is an equation for that, but it's, it's just basically showing that, yeah, if you increase your Z difference, add it. If you decrease your Z difference, subtract gamma H. That's all you got to do. Elevation increases, add gamma H for that specific fluid. If you decrease it, subtract gamma H. Um, I think I might have said that wrong. I'll go back and look it up. Um, so for an inclined tube, PA minus PB equals gamma 2 length 2 sine theta. So this is, we have to use sine theta because we're inclining the tube, right? So we're going to have a a change in the length using our Sokotoa. So again, there's a much nicer picture of it, but L2 sine theta is going to be the vertical distance between two points. So when you're inclining your manometer tube, when you're like moving a pipe or something um, in a non-vertical direction, you have to account for that by using your sine theta, your sine theta geometry. Um, Hydrostatic force on a plane surface. Okay, so that was goal number two. We're now working on goal number three. Horizontal fluids, not incompressible type. FR equals rho A. Nope. FR equals PA, where P is uniform pressure on the bottom, and A is the area of the bottom. So for an open tank, P is equal to gamma H, right? Specific weight of the fluid times the height of the column of whatever you're working with is equal to pressure. And pressure is equal to force. So FR equals PA, where P equals gamma H. So if we wanted to do an average pressure force, we can say that FR equals gamma time H over 2 over A. So that would be like an arbitrarily average point at any place within our, our container. We can also say um, that the force FR equals gamma H2 over A by itself, or you can say that that is pressure times area. So the pressure of AV times A is also equal to gamma over H2 times area. So the important part with this hydrostatic force is, like, if we're going to picture a triangle under underwater, 
the greatest force is obviously going to be at the bottom of the triangle, right? So you're going to see the force pushing not only on the bottom, but also on the sides of the glass. So if we picture like an aquarium, right? And say it's got some sloping sides, the pressure would have to be reinforced more on the bottom because that amount of force is not just going straight down, it's also going to the sides. So that's why we're interested in this FRPAV type of, uh, FR equals PA, PA, is because you have to account for the gamma H pressures on the sides as well as straight down on the bottom. Uh, let's see, the magnitude of a force acting on a curved surface. So this equation is on page 69. It seems pretty simple. So the force is equal to the square root of the force H squared plus force volume squared. So these are internal pressures times your area. Uh, buoyancy, flotation, and stability. When a stationary body is completely submerged in a fluid or floating, it is only partially submerged. The resulting fluid force acting on the body is called the buoyant force. A net upward vertical force results because pressure increases with depth and the pressure forces acting from below are larger than those acting from above. So this one, water supports you, right? That buoyant force, the equal and opposite reaction of the water pushing down on the ground is also the ground pushing up on the water. So in any direction, that same force, that same average force that we calculated um, at any depth within the water is going to be pushing back on you, right? So um, there's some derivations here that are moderately interesting if you're into that. Moral of the story is F of B equals gamma volume, where gamma is equal to the specific weight of the fluid, V is equal to the volume of the body, and the FB is the buoyant force. The buoyant force is the force of the fluid on the body. So it's not the body on the fluid, it's the force of the fluid on the body. This force has a magnitude equal to the weight of the fluid displaced by the body and is directed upward, which is why we have to calculate it using volume. The point through which the buoyant force acts is called the center of buoyancy, and this is known as Archimedes' principle. Stable equilibrium, if a body, when displaced, returns to its equilibrium position, it is unstable if it changes that position regardless of how small the disturbance is. Hydrostatic pressure is pressure exerted by a fluid at equilibrium at a given point within the fluid due to the force of gravity. A fluid must be at equilibrium when it's at rest or when the flow velocity at each point is constant over time. Pressure is a point, not a vector or a field. There can be a pressure field, but we're going to talk about that a little bit different. Equilibrium occurs when gravity is balanced by the pressure gradient, and it increases with depth. A pressure field is the distribution of a whole bunch of pressure points. So you can see uh, on this one, we're looking at a tank with a whole bunch of downward force, and we say pressure field is the bottom surface. Uh, on another picture, we look at an open-topped um, gauge pressure type tank with sloped sides, and we see the side, uh, the force from the water being pushing out on the sides, and this is a pressure field against the side wall. At a given point, the pressure of a point is independent of direction. Up, down, wherever, that's why it can act on a body, is because it's in all directions at one time. It's the same amount of pressure going in every direction at a point. 
Uh, let's see. Force is a vector, so force does have to have a, a, a direction, but pressure does not. So body force is equal to ma, which is also equal to gravity times uh, density times change in volume. The, and the surface force needs to get added to that. Surface force is the change in the negative change in uh, gradient pressure times volume. And that will give you your total force. And this is Newton's second law. So the negative change in pressure is, plus the specific weight in gravity must equal zero. The pressure variation in a compressible, in compressible or incompressible fluids, hydrostatic pressure. So the pressure height relationship, change in pressure over change in elevation equals negative density times gravity, which is equal to negative gamma. And this applies to any fluid, but it has to be static. We're not ready to move to mo motion yet, just static fluids. And in this case, gravity is the only body force and Z is the vertical change. So just the same thing we've been talking about all day, right? Like vertical change is always your Z, which re results in your head pressure. And gravity is our body force in this case. We're not working with electromagnetism or any of the magnetic fields or anything like that. Fluids are constant, P density, and are, are incompressible. So again, we've got another, we've got the same equation, right? P1 minus P2 equals gamma times Z2 minus Z1. P1 minus P2 equals Z times your head pressure. So it's the exact same equation we've been working with. Um, just some standard numbers you might want to think about. 10 PSI is equal to 23.1 feet of water. Gamma for Earth is equal to 62.4 pounds per cubic foot or 518 millimeters of mercury. The reason we care is because a small force applied in one location will move a lot of energy to another location. So hydraulic jacks, for example, are very efficient. And again, water pressure depends only on depth, not shape. Compressible fluids, just a quick review. Uh, again, dp over dz, that's going to be equal to your negative specific weight times gravity or your negative specific weight. For air, specific weight is 0 0.0763 pounds per cubic foot. This is a tiny specific weight, which means a small pressure gradient. This can neglect elevation for gases in tanks and pipes because, the, because it is so small. Uh, again, a review, P2 equals P1 raised to negative G times H over RT to zero. So that's for your gases, modification of the ideal gas law. Um, and then finally, just remember your standard set of properties is in table 2.1, and pressure is always force over area, and it varies linearly with depth, unless you start doing compressible fluid weirdness, and then it does not. But for right now, incompressible fluids um, and most compressible fluids can go uh, varies linearly with depth. Okay, thank you everyone. We'll, we'll go for next lesson here.